Hello, everybody. We're back. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Frostick. Welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we are talking about two games that I... I Well, one of them I've been looking forward to talking about for, I don't know, a month? And the other one, kind of my surprise of the season. Really didn't expect it. Those games are Immortality, which we'll talk about in the second half because we're going to get into spoilers, and Tinykin, which, what is this game? I can't believe it. It's like Pikmin-esque. Would you describe it that way, Fresh? Of course, Pikmin-esque, yes. It's it's a delight. Um, But before that, I mean, I don't know what we were going to talk about. Before we turned on our mics, we were talking about our children's poop. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. That's gross. Okay. So So we're going to talk about the time I spit up all over my floor, which happened (laughs) like three hours ago. I don't know how often this happens to you, but sometimes I just overestimate how much I can swallow of water in my mouth. And that happened today where I where I imbibed too much water and then my nose was a little bit stuffy and I just and and I didn't know what to do with it. So I just spit it out. Oh well that doesn't sound like you put too much in. That feels like My nose was stuffy. Yeah, that you put in the right amount. And then you weren't ready to, for some reason, you decided, rather than swallow, I'm going to store it in here, kind of like a whale, sifting, (laughs) you know, for krill. Yeah, through the baleen. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, I guess, did you have, like, a hot dog in there? Were you doing, like, that No, there was no food. It was just water. Just water. You've you've never gotten to that moment where it's like, I have way too much water in my mouth. I don't know how to swallow it in, like, parts. And then at the exact same time, you just happened to get a sneeze. Well, I didn't have a sneeze. My nose was just stuffy, and I was running out of oxygen. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, like, basically, you did not have the capacity to breathe through your nose this morning. That's part one. You wake yes. up. You don't have the capacity to breathe through your nose. Right. And then you're like, hmm, now I'm down. I'm down one of the two core, core functions of breathing. Yeah. I am going to <laughs> just ballast myself with water. And so much so that I I forget, uh-oh, can't breathe in the nose, now I can't breathe in the mouth, I need to erupt on the floor so I don't drown, is it drowning? I mean, uh, you know, I guess the fear would be if you were to like start gasping and then the water would go in your lungs, that seems bad, like a, like a waterboarding situation. Yeah. But in this situation- Where did it go? It went all over my floor in my office slash bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Did it get? I was like, computer? I stood up and I was like, "What am I going to do with this? Can I swallow in time before I need to take a breath? No, I can't. It's too much water." So I just opened my mouth and let it all tumble onto the floor like so much confetti. But it was just water. <sighs> I and mean, it is like goodness. hardwood floor, so it's fine. I could just like wipe it up. It wasn't like carpet. W- was anybody? Did anybody see it? No. The entire you, apartment was empty. Here's an honest question for you. Yeah. What would have been worse? <laughs> your wife seeing it? I think she's seen or, me do or, something or, similar, or, quite honestly. Or your child seeing it and not knowing what to, like, you can't, it's not like he can understand. Yeah, but he has, he's still pretty young, so I don't think he has a lot of frame of reference for, like, what's normal. So, yeah. like, oh, maybe he thinks daddy sometimes spits out a ton of water. Do you worry about that? That you are giving him a lot of frame of references that are not in line with the rest of civilization? I mean, I'm he's uh, getting steeled for a lifetime of having to spend it with me. 
So he knows, you know, I'm not going around and uh, going away anytime soon. So you better get used to all these eccentricities is what I would say. No, I, I think that's great. I just like that you are a human water balloon and at any minute you might pop. Well, only if there's water in there. And with that, I think we should take a break. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details. And all of a sudden, they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or you want to have a nice, easy solution, save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month. Say bye to your overpriced wireless plan's jaw-dropping monthly bills. The unexpected overages sound familiar? To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay, we are back, and we're going to talk about Tinykin, a new game from Splash Team. Splash Team? What, what, what else have they made? I have no idea. Oh, apparently they made a game called Splasher in 2017. That's appropriate for Splash Team. Sure. Um, I, I didn't play Splasher, in all honesty. I don't even remember it. So, hey, there it goes. But Tinykin is a Pikmin-like game. Yes. and But but different in some pretty key ways. And it is a cartoon aesthetic. You're a little um, buddy who has, I don't know, these little creatures that you can find inside of a giant room. Like a giant, well, I guess not just one giant room, but inside oh of- Oh my God, uh, hold on. Oh, oh, Let me do gosh. this. Yeah, you, you yeah, do you're, this. You're just flailing all of the place. <sighs> okay. For people that don't know Pikmin, Pikmin, you're Captain Olimar, you're a little alien guy, mm-hmm. and he collects these little beings, like dozens of them, and they follow him around and do his bidding, basically. Mm-hmm. Tinykin, you are also a little alien guy in, you know, in this giant world and you find these little beings and they do your bidding. But there are some key differences between the games, which we will discuss, that I actually think Tinykin does better and makes for a better, more fun game than Pikmin noted Nintendo franchise. Wow. That's huge. So, um, so for people that haven't played Pikmin, there are moments of Pikmin that I find very, very enjoyable and there are moments that I absolutely despise. And the moments I find enjoyable are like, oh, you're lost in this world. Everything is giant. You're tiny. So you're you're finding like everyday things like a cell phone or like a cantaloupe, but they're giant. Everyday cantaloupe. An everyday cantaloupe, but you're tiny and they're giant and you have to use your little critters to uh, move them around. All that stuff's great. Love it. Where Pikmin loses me is, I guess, in an effort to add complexity or whatever strategy... A lot of Pikmin 
requires basically dividing up your little friends into different squads so I can do, oh, I'm going to have my red squad go over here and they're going to pick up the cantaloupe. I'm going to have my blue squad go over here. They're going to pick up the cell phone and they're going to meet in the middle and the time is running out for the day and there's enemies I need to fight. And there's just like a ton of multitasking in Pikmin that has always, always stressed me out. I like the core gameplay, but I think it is hampered somewhat by the multitasking. Uh, Tinykin totally fixes that problem. How does it do that? How? Yeah, I, I, I would like to know how. Very good question. Tinykin is effectively a third-person platformer that happens to have this crowd of guys that is following you around. Uh, there's a lot of jumping. There's even, like, kind of a skateboard mechanic. But you've also got this big with crowd big, of guys. With a big bar of soap. You with got, a big you bar of soap. Home. You're on You're a right. giant you bar of soap. skateboarding on a big bar of soap. But you've got this crowd of guys behind you, and as you explore more of these worlds, which, as Plant alluded to, are basically just normal you know, everyday house rooms, but like you're tiny. the first tiny. one is like a bedroom. Yeah, like a bedroom like a or a bathroom, bedroom, probably. garden, bedroom. stuff like yeah. that. Um, but as you're exploring these environments, you'll find more of the tiny guys and the tiny guys will then help you explore even more. So the first few tiny guys you find, I've, I'm not going to say colors because I'm sure I'll get them wrong, but the first few that you find are pretty basic insofar as they'll just like move stuff around for you. You'll find another batch that when you throw them, they like kind of explode and they can like break through barriers. Bomb the, boys. Bomb boys, yes. The third batch. That's not the real name, but they are my bomb boys. I love them. The third batch is like you, uh, they turn into a giant ladder. Like like they stack up like uh, turtles all the way up. What's that book? Sean Green? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so they stack up and then you kind of get to the top of that stack and then you can access higher areas that's what that book's about, right? You know that John Green didn't invent the idea of turtles all the way down, right? All the way up? No. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe that's the name of the book, but no. And it was that Yertle the Turtle book. Oh Is that what God. invented it? Just keep rolling. You were doing great with Tiny Tin. Anyway... Um, so the idea is the more guys you find, the more of the area you can access, but you never have to worry about, oh, I got to send my pink guys over here. Oh, I got to send my blue guys over here Yeah, because the game is automatically selecting the proper guy for the proper task. So if you need to throw a bomb boy, you just lock onto the thing that requires bombs and it'll automatically throw a bomb, by, bomb boy for you. You don't have to worry about them getting lost. They will always follow you no matter where you go. You can go on a giant springboard. You can go on a rope and they will find your next location. So there's no stress about, oh, no, this guy is like drowning in a pond somewhere because I left him behind. It just streamlines the whole experience and just leaves you with the magic and wonder that is I have a dozen guys following me around and they can, you know, do my bidding. Yes. I mean... I I have never gotten into the Pikmin series. Yeah, it's it's too slow for me. I guess that's where I bounced off. I don't. Do know. Do you think I, it's the the stress of the multitasking? It's the stress of that. It's the fact that I just GameCube kind of skipped. That was like the sure. Nintendo console that I bounced off of, and then uh, because of that, I I just I don't know. I missed my entry. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I, I just didn't vibe with it. But the two things that I liked were, yes, I love being. Uh, uh, in a small version of the real world. Love it. Toy yeah. Commander on Dreamcast, love it. Um, and I love the idea of being like this like person who just is in charge of a gajillion little buddies who help you out, right? Yeah. That, that's, those are two cool ideas. 
separate from how the game actually plays. What I was surprised about with this game is it took another genre that I'm kind of like skeptical of, which is like 3D platformers that sure. are not called Mario. And there like are like a banjo kazooie. Sure. And like there I'll I'll be clear. There actually are a bunch of platformers out these days from indie studios that are doing some pretty interesting things. But you know, that's a that's a new development. There is a long period of like Matt Scott platformers that were not good. And this is a merger of what I like about Pikmin conceptually with a platformer, and that makes the platformer better, and the platformer stuff makes the Pikmin stuff better. Yep. So that first world that you're in that's like this bedroom, what's cool as hell about it is you can see the entire room at any time. The yes. room is, for you, massive. Um and it's extremely vertical. So as you're going around doing all of this, I think they're like little spiders that you will snap out of their webs or nest. And it shoots a spider web uh, like from, I don't know, the floor to the top shelf of a bookshelf. And you can grind it on your little soap bar. And by the time you, I guess, unlock all the level, all these different paths, you know, you knock, maybe you knock a mug out of the way and that releases a book that then becomes a little um, path, you know, to get up to another ledge or there's all these different ways that you can kind of move things around in the room to make it easier to navigate. And once you've done that, you've turned this room into, I mean, it, it goes from being a room to being a level. If that yeah. makes sense, like it's, or, or, it, it, I, it felt like a playground to me. It felt yeah. like you were going into discovery zone, and you could now just like, oh, I'm going to go along this rope, or I'm going to go up these springboards, or whatever it is. And you're right; like when you start out, you have way less mobility just because you have fewer guys to throw around, and all these shortcuts aren't unlocked. But by the end of it, it just becomes like totally interconnected. Yeah, I, it is one of the most impressive first levels or introductions to a game that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Because you go into it expecting, I don't know, just something different, something smaller. And to get put into this world that is both constrained, but like everything in it is purposeful, feels incredibly impressive. That it is so big in scale and so vertical feels very impressive. I think verticality is a thing that a lot of game designers forget about in 3D space. And... Being able to go up and down easily it just rules, and it feels good. Um, the game feels great. Being able to grind is awesome. Being able to throw these critters, it feels great. It has a good lock-on mechanics for mm -hmm. every time you throw something, it locks on. And then the real surprise, these worlds are full of characters, like full of yeah. characters, and they all have stuff to say, and uh, many of them have missions like side quests to unlock. Uh, so, I mean, I I don't know. I put a lot of time into just that first stage because I kept talking to everybody and finding new things to do. Yeah, and there's actually, like, an incentive beyond, like, whatever achievements, stuff like that. As you complete these tasks, they'll give you these gold pieces. And I think the gold pieces then increase the amount that you can use your glider, like Breath of the Wild style. So you get more stamina for your glider, which in turn helps you explore faster and more, you know, reach different places and then I mentioned like some of the later levels with the later critters really mix things up where you can use the critters for the verticality. Everything just feels very thought out and in interconnected in that way where nothing is put there without like, oh, I'm going to, I know exactly how this is going to impact all the other mechanics in the game. It's all very, very thoughtful. Yeah. And for people who are curious about it, it's on Game Pass, yep. which is great. That said, 
I don't, I don't know how you you played it. I played this on Steam Deck, and I believe it's also on Switch. I do think it's on Switch, yes. This game rules as a portable game. Yeah, it's very um, good as portable. I, I think a lot of it has to do with there's no combat. Like, it's just platforming and throwing the guys. And I think that paired with the idea of like, oh, you could really, I mean, it auto saves a lot and you can put it down whenever you want. It feels very good as portable. I will say I have not played it on Switch. I played it on Steam Deck as well. I have not played it on Switch. Um, I, so I don't, can't speak to performance. I'm sure on like Xbox or wherever it probably runs quite good. But uh, Switch version, I haven't looked up uh, how that version. So so investigate before you drop down but if you're just uh if you have to have game pass and want to check it out that way that was a very good way to do it yeah at bare minimum this is a game that's just worth a try <laughs> like if yeah. you have game pass there is no reason not to try this game and and i would put like an hour into it to make sure that you get to the fun yeah which, i mean i i don't think you even need that i think it shows its hand pretty quickly but. yeah um, um, the the one other thing I want to mention, it does a very cool art design thing, mm-hmm. which is the levels themselves are all in 3D. So 3D models of cups and bookcases and whatever. The characters are all 2D, but you're moving them through a 3D world. I guess the equivalent would be like a Paper Mario or something like that. Um, this allows for a couple of things. One, like stylistically, it looks pretty cool that these 2D characters are moving through 3D. The other thing is that it allows for scalability for platforms like the Switch, for example. If you had, let's say, 60 little modeled guys following you around on Switch, there are limits to what you can do. I mean, you look at Pikmin, like Pikmin has some limitations in terms of what what it can pull off in terms of resolution and uh, clearly, uh, you know, clear graphics and stuff like that. And I think this choice even though it works artistically also helps for performance so it's very very smart yeah i mean just everything about it is so clever so i don't know it's funny that it wasn't made by nintendo because it's polished and finessed with an inch of its life yeah i think Um, i think it's very clear that the people who made it were inspired by nintendo and certainly pikmin um but i think they came at it in the same way that like you think about stardew Stardew Valley was approached as like, I'm a fan of Harvest Moon and those sorts of games, but I think we can do this in a different way that's more satisfying. And uh, and I think in both cases, they were successful. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to play more of this game. I, I, I just love when we get something like this that is, you know, it's not like a big blockbuster thing, but it's not like a kind of artsy indie game, which we'll talk about in the second half. It, it's just a really great version of the thing it set out to be. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I don't don't feel like we get a whole lot of of those. Um, Yeah. And any, any other thoughts about it on your end? No, I would say, you know, we've had some questions over the months and years about people wanting to know, like what's a good introductory game, especially for 3d spaces. I think this is a great one for what it's worth because you don't have to worry about combat. You're really just like moving the guy around and jumping and, and moving the camera around and I think it kind of eases you in, um, and slowly but surely, I think you'll you'll feel a lot more comfortable. So, so it's I, I, on that note, I I you know I'm playing more games with my son, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not forcing him to grow up as an inverted Y axis. Good thinking. Well, but that done. means when we are like swapping the controller back and forth, I need to play traditional. 
So I've been trying to wean myself off inverted. Yeah. And this game has been great for that. Like, it's just a place to play a 3D space game without inverted on and to kind of get the feel for it and for it to be like, it feels very natural in this game. It's, and then I, you know, I, I tried a little bit of Splatoon that way and it was a disaster. I, it's like learning Japanese. If you stick with it, <laughs> after six or seven years, it'll feel natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you still won't be there, but you'll at least feel a little closer. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, how about we take a break and then we will come back. We will talk about immortality. We're going to go full spoilers on this. We're going to talk about everything that there is in this game. I'm going to talk about film because that's the type of person I am. But I will say this. There's a lot of people who have said, like, you should go in it not knowing anything. I fundamentally disagree. I I truly think this game is better with large parts of it spoiled. I think uh, it doesn't work very well um, as a mystery that you... Ru- uncover for yourself i mean it can but i know this a lot is of so people... much preamble for an ad i've never experienced so much preamble for an ad. what do you mean we haven't gone to an air break yet you're just I... preambling no, the I ad know, break. i'm letting people know what's going to come because okay. i don't want them to be caught off guard you could have just said like... we're going to talk about immortality and there's going to be spoilers and then at the afterwards you could yeah, have been well, like... but, but, but then they would have been like oh spoilers i don't want to do it and i'm telling them like hey spoilers be damned i think you should listen to this part anyway okay okay and now we're going to take a break this episode of The Best These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos. You can do whatever you want. And it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames. And they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now... You can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. 
All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. Okay. We're back after a very long preamble and a fantastic ad. And we're going to talk about Immortality, the new new game. It's new still. Came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. New game from Sam Barlow mm -hmm. and his studio. Is it Half Mermaid? I think that's what it's called. I think that sounds right. Um, and I mean, how much setup do you think we should do, Fresh? Because you've, you've talked about it on another episode. Yeah. So on Besties, we talked about it. We tried to explain what it was, what the minute to minute is. Uh, is there like a like rapid dash version of yeah. a summary of what this game is? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the rapid version is there was an actress who made three films that never got released. And we have been granted access to a ton of footage, both of the films themselves and behind the scenes video footage um, that spans from the late sixties to the late 1990s. And it is our job to go through all of this and piece together what it all means. The way that you do that is by watching footage and you click on any object, basically any object or face or whatever, and that will hyperlink you to another depiction of a similar object or person. Yes. And that unlocks more footage, which then reveals more information. And then there's like a, a higher level sci-fi thing, which we're going to get to in a second. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Um, and just to bring people up to speed, the last time that I spoke about it, I had just, and I'm going to put heavy quotes around it, beaten it insofar as the credits rolled. And I came away like having kind of thoughts about what happened, but in reading more about it, I clearly only just kind of glanced off the surface of it. And now that I've watched videos from very smart people and read articles by very smart people, I think I have more of an understanding of what's going on, and I guess we're going to talk about that too. Yes. Spoilery. I, I think that's right. So, so here, I, I want to talk about the film stuff, because I listened to your episode, and it was great. Yes. Um, but you didn't go, like, super hardcore into the film history. Because so. I, well, I don't know what the references are. I, I'm yeah. sure there's an Italian... Christ story that cool. is exactly referenced by so, that first movie. <laughs> well, okay. So there there are three movies, right? Yes. And the first, I think mostly the first one is referencing, it's called Giallo. I hope I pronounced that right. But it's an Italian thriller from this area, okay. era. And the whole thing with Giallo is it blends horror, it blends mystery, it has sex, and it has like psychological thriller components, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And they could be grounded, but they could also be like very weird very occult, and they had a few things that you would see in pretty much all of them. They would have, like, really, really bold scores. So you didn't see it, you heard it. Yeah. They would have lots of blood and nudity, mostly female. 
Um, they'd have really inventive camera work and editing. And those things would kind of help cover up the fact that they also had pretty low budgets. Sure. Um, they, they also tended to have a lot of Stranger in a Strange Land stories. So if you've played the game, ta-da. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the pretty, pretty perfect summary. Um, the, the term Jello, for people who are curious, it... it Technically, I believe means just the color yellow in Italian, hmm. but it, it's a reference to the fact that mystery novels around that time had yellow covers. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So this this form pops up in the mid-60s through the 70s, which is around the same time as when this movie that we're watching, the first one, is being created. The other thing that I think is kind of important here, because these movies are English movies. They, they I don't believe we're even supposed to think that they were made in Italy. Um, this is around the same time that in the U.S., the Hayes Code is completely disintegrating. And do, do you, you know what the Hayes Code is, right? Yeah, that's the word you want to try to explain it for folks? Yeah, real quick, explain it, yeah. Oh, I mean, I didn't know if you want. Oh, I will take a stab. My sure. understanding is the Hayes Code, there was a bunch of rules of stuff you couldn't do on film. And uh, for many years, you know, a basic one being you had to keep one foot on the floor when there was a man and a woman in a bed, I think is one of them. But it was also like violence. So you couldn't have like gangsters couldn't like kill people and then get away with it. They had to like show that they were punished for their crimes. Yeah. And like a lot of morality rules, you yeah. know, nudity. Um, uh, you couldn't even show a Tommy gun. I think there were like certain guns that you just yeah. couldn't show. Um, and it was very aggressive, which is why if you go watch movies pre-code, you'll see these movies from like the 20s or 30s that are like way more shocking than like anything that's made up until like, I don't know, the mid 60s. Um, but anyway, by the mid 60s, it's like people are just effectively ignoring it. And by the end of the 60s, it's fallen apart. Yeah. It collapses in 68. So suddenly there is this huge market for movies with gore and sex. And at the exact same time, Italy's like, hey, we have this entire genre that is full of this stuff mm -hmm. so it's like a perfect export scenario you know us and uk viewers want it and italian filmmakers just have it you know by the boatload and they can start shipping it off so i think i think if sorry let me know if i'm, I'm rambling because no I, no I this is helpful i you know i think what people would want to know is how does this sort of serve the story so there's like a meta story well, going on so, in immortality versus the secret story that's going on in immortality and all of that stuff is nested within these three genres. Well, so I think that that's kind of the problem. <laughs> well, that's, it's not the problem. I think it's, a, I think it's missed expectations of what people want from art. And I'll, I'll, I'll you mind if I kind of work my way there? Go for because, it. Because yeah. So the first thing that I want to talk about is like why, why it's interesting that he, Sam Barlow made a game and his team made a game that's like with Jalo anyway, because we talked about the Hayes Code. And I think video games are like kind of in the collapsing of the Hayes Code era for us. It seems, it probably seems like a long time ago for a lot of our listeners, but you and I were working together when Brown versus Entertainment, which is the Supreme Court decision about like video games as art, happened. Yeah. And again, for people who weren't, teenagers or adults at the time before that it was like a legitimate question of like what will happen to video games like can they be censored will certain types of video games be completely controlled by the government that was i mean there was an ongoing debate um and that, that was like a monumental decision 
So for games, when that happens, people start kind of actually testing and pushing the boundaries. But games take a really long time to make. You know, in film, the Hays Code disintegrates. You can have a new movie up in six months. Mm -hmm. And you can keep iterating that over and over again. But with games, you know, it can take years, especially for indie creators, right? So I think we're like kind of getting to this point where people are kind of seeing what they can do, what they can get away with, what people are comfortable with, what audiences like. And I think this game both <laughs> is cool because it's using Jalo, it's using this moment in cinema to talk about this moment in games. And then the game itself is doing a lot of things that I think games are not supposed to do. Like new, like human nudity. Yeah. Um, which like, how many games can you name that have... Yeah, like nudity. actual film like of nudity. Actual, yeah. actual depictions of humans naked, let alone as excessively as this film does so i think i think that is interesting now how much it benefits the story that part i i like a mixed on and that's because it has so so many stories yeah it has too uh, my, many stories yeah so my my understanding is this there's the there's the i think the quote most obvious story which is you have this actress, uh, Marissa Marceau, who essentially gets uh, objectified and used through the course of, you know, directors and producers and uh, throughout her entire career. And it kind of shows you this dark underbelly of Hollywood in the style of Mulholland Drive and tons of other uh, movies, but certainly realistic portrayals all because Hollywood is super gross. Um, in a lot of places. So so that, I think, is the probably the most surface story. And then beneath that story, there's, and we alluded to it in uh, the episode, there's a secret underbelly to uh, or immortality. There are these secret scenes that pop up featuring these characters that are totally different characters from the characters that we see in most of the footage. There's like a... Uh, th there are two characters primarily, both uh, kind of androgynous looking, bleached blonde hair. Uh, I think it, in the credits they're referred to as the one and the other one. Yes. So before we get to them, because I feel like once we talk about them, the whole thing is going to uh, like fall Probably apart. true. Yep. It's like the thread that you just shouldn't pull. Um, before we talk about them, let's talk about the, for, I guess first the main story sure <laughs> which is like there is this woman marissa like you said who uh is at at a random moment is overcome with the urge to create art effectively and she pursues a career in film she does like a commercial first and then gets discovered by this director um fisher i think is his name ambrosio fisher I, that's where i jotted down. i think that's right he's a he's very clearly modeled after hitchcock and he is like a total creep. And he brings her in. Was Hitchcock a creep? Oh, aren't for real? Oh, yeah, I didn't know. Oh, yeah, oh. he's like super, super, super abusive. Oh, yeah, sad. really, really bad guy. Drag. Um, Yeah, yeah, uh, not, yeah. Um, so he's, he's a, a, a pretty big creep, and she gets pulled into that. And then, I mean, I don't know how, how much we want to get into the individual stories of all of this, but no, but I, I think it's okay. So again, we're going to spoil this. Basically, there are like three major moments that happen within each story that not the stories themselves, but in the meta narrative that explain why each of those movies didn't come out 
Yes. Well, actually, I can I, I can probably bash that really quick. Okay. Because I, I, I jotted this down. So the first one is an erotic religious thriller. It's like about a priest who's being seduced by a nun. And uh, then, like, we find out that the nun is actually just the devil. And the nun is played by Marissa. Yeah. And the devil has just been testing the priest the whole time. And the director during this whole time is, like, very into the idea of Marissa being, like, naive and innocent and putting her in these, like, very sexual positions. And while this is all happening, she develops a relationship with the director of photography and becomes, like, or at least behaves less naive. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then, it, yeah, then he he basically, the director, I guess, out of rage over this, do you know why he, he decides not to release the film? He hoards the footage. Yeah, I don't remember offhand why that first film doesn't get released. Yes, yeah, so that's the first one. The second yes. one is now shortly after. Um, Marissa and that director of photography are working together on their own movie. And this is much more new Hollywood. So if Jallo is like in Italy, new Hollywood is the period from like mid-60s to the mid-80s. This where, felt like Taxi Driver. Yes, me. it's Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, a lot of men, white men, making like very bold artistic films, very extravagant, a lot of like thrillers too, a lot of detective work, really interesting stuff. Very um, dark themes, very dark, a lot of very high dark. contrast, like, uh, you know, the way they're shot is tends to be like almost noir-y in the way that there's like very dark and light. Yeah, it feels like almost like they use the Hays Code as a grocery list. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, okay, what can we do? Um, and in this one, uh, she is uh marissa plays a woman who we think killed a famous artist and there's a detective investigating this and that detective has plenty of reason to believe it's her but he's like kind of falling for her and they develop a relationship and at the end we find out that he has the detective uh has the evidence to basically prove it was her and he destroys it yeah uh dooming himself to be with this black widow character um, and that one gets, that film never comes out because while they're filming it, uh, Marissa fires a gun into the detective character that we think is supposed to be loaded with blanks, but is accidentally ac accidentally loaded with a live round. Yes. Um, and since somebody's killed on set, they're like, we, we can't finish this movie. The yes. third movie is in the late 1990s. So like, they're almost 30 years later. And it is a Marissa plays two roles in it. She is a famous pop icon, and she's also that pop icon's body double. What and, even what genre is this? Because it just felt like schlocky, like oh, almost direct yeah. to TV. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's intentional. It's yeah. like shot. This one, all these are shot, or at least made to look like they're shot on different film stock. This one looks like it's shot on like bad DV cam, digital yeah. video cam back then. And it looks, yes, like the most generic, um, you know, direct-to-video thriller that you would find at Blockbuster just to Like pilot. on the TBS Superstation at 1 p.m. on a Saturday. Yes. And it, it clearly looks, everything about it seems like junk. And when we see the behind-the-scenes stuff, like everyone looks pretty checked out. Like yeah. Marissa, the, the DP has, who, you know, had worked on that second film, he's back. He does not seem to want to make the movie. Everyone seems checked out and um, and basically like Marissa and John, I think that's his name, the DP disappear. 
I think that's how it's perceived publicly, that they disappear. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, there's camera footage of at one point while they're filming, throughout the filming, uh, Marissa is having like nosebleeds and getting progressively more fucked up. And then there's a scene where like randomly, seemingly out of nowhere, her head just starts bleeding on a bar while they're filming. And that's like the last shot we ever see of her, quote, alive. Um, And that certainly is why that movie didn't get released, which I guess is a good segue into the other part. Well, before we do that, I want to do one more brief film history thing. Okay. Just because I I think it's relevant. And then after that, I think we'll be exclusively in plot. But I I think the this new Hollywood stuff that that second film yeah. is also interesting just again as like a comparison to the games industry because again here are a whole bunch of the new Hollywood movement at the time everybody loves it you know it's like all these great artists they're doing all these amazing things but behind the scenes like many of these dudes are creeps like yeah. real monsters and many of the studios are doing really scummy stuff. Like, I mean, they're just straight up stealing from independent creators. So, I mean, a a very famous example is Marvin Van Peebles' Sweet, Sweet sweet, sweet Back's Badass Song is this, I guess you could call it, black black exploitation film that is released by Cinemation Industries. It's also so much more than that, too. And then MGM comes along and creates Shaft. And then from there, even more studios get in on it, right? And it's like this thing of, you know, small people or small studios are creating things and they're just getting completely stolen and commercialized. So that's bad. And I think both But of those do you things, think that, let me ask you, do you think yeah. that's a that period thing or is that like not just still happening today? I, I mean, it still happens, but I think this is where we're seeing it like run rampant. Sure. And unchecked. And I think because, again, the the industry, the film industry is both big enough to fund it and to like for people to make money off of it. But it's not so big and so mature that people are keeping an eye on it. Got it. And I think like that's kind of where games have been, especially like in the past 10 years. I think, again, I hope that we're kind of barreling out of that. But, you know, obviously powerful men getting away with awful things is a thing that we, you know, reckon with with our coverage at Polygon constantly. Yeah. Um, and it was like not a shock for publishers to like steal ideas from any game creators over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, or for indie game publishers, I think many of them that are now defunct to give indie game creators bad, you know, percentage cuts when they decided to, you know, quote fund them. Um, I mean, we still see that, right? Like Epic is still quote borrowing ideas from among us. Like, There's just, I just think, I I know all this is like not related to the story, but I think it's like all, I think it's all a piece of it. I think when you play something like this, it's meant to, I don't think it's like an accident when uh, somebody like Barlow and and the team make these choices. I think they want you to draw those comparisons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the video game industry connections even though i do i think they are accurate i don't think it's necessarily the inspiration i think at its core it really is just a a story of power dynamics oh no no again i'm not saying it's inspiration i think it's it's in conversation with it yeah I, i i think i think that they want you to be thinking about these things in relation to the story yeah i mean i i wish there weren't so many examples of power dynamics gone awry in culture today but like Video games is like one of many, unfortunately. 
Um, okay, so now we know the story of the three films. More or less, yeah. The I think the behind the scenes story that's the real story of the game. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I you know there are there are parallels between. Oh, I'm I understand. You're talking about the the two mystery characters. I thought you meant behind the scenes. No, no, like, no, 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 no. I mean the scenes I mean, in between. But I mean no, no, no. I mean behind the scenes film of the filmmaking. Okay, so like they yell cut and then people are talking. Yes, I think yeah, like I, what happens with Marissa and John and Carl, all, all of right. those people. That's like. At least for me, that was like the, the the real story. Totally. I totally agree with that. And also I would say like that's where you see the strongest performances when they're yeah. not quote on and the like cameras are all theoretically off and you see, I think, a much more naturalistic earnest portrayal because, you know, they're not beholden to the script or whatever the scene is. They're now suddenly themselves and we see these personalities kind of emerge and, uh, you know, some of them are particularly horrible or gross yeah do you do you feel like you could summarize i guess the three beats of of the behind the scenes stories the first movie uh, marissa is basically presented as a very naive actress and the director is like constantly making cracks about how she doesn't know about sex or anything she's just kind of this naive person and I know she's trying to, as an actress, prove everyone wrong. And while that's happening, she has this relationship with the DP, John, who eventually then hires her for the second movie. And they have this kind of long relationship, which is also abusive. Um, and so that sort of continues through the second movie. And then the third movie. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, I'm sorry. The, I think the second movie, the, the story there is. So Marissa and John are together. But there, she has a co-star named Carl. Oh, yes. And Marissa now is, like, very flirtatious with Carl. And it's, like, yeah. not sure if, you're tr- if she's trying to get a rise out of John or what the deal is there. Yeah, there's some theories about people were trying to make the argument that she was also just trying to prove that, hey, she can be this sexual being in the way that, like, people kind of wrote her off in the first movie. Now she can, like, show that, oh, she can get this, you know, hunky actor star of the movie uh, that does not work out for her either because, because it seems that yeah. John and Carl are kind of having a relationship as well. So she kind of gets left aside once again. And then she shoots Carl. And so then she, she shoots, shoots her co-star with the loaded right. gun that should have been that should have had a blank in it. Right. Which gets into like whether, you know, it was Who an accident what? or not, yeah, dives into the other stuff. The yes. third movie. uh they come back. Um, John and uh, Marissa are back after 30 years. They don't look like they've aged for what it's worth. That's going to be relevant in a second. And um, John is currently with another actress. I'm blanking on her name um, who plays um, the wife of this powerful woman in a powerful man in the third movie. And that kind of, progression goes on to the point where we start seeing marissa kind of burning the candle at both ends eventually like physically failing insofar as she's getting nosebleeds and eventually like collapsing in a bloody heap on the side of a bar and john mysteriously vanishing yes so this this is kind of my my trouble with it as a story with with the 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 game as a story is the first three movies really impressive especially the first two like they're just good stories like you can follow them they would have worked 
as I mean, not great movies, but they would have worked as like movies on their own. And just writing that much and having it be solid is cool, even if it is kind of pastiche of stuff that already existed. Yeah. That said, the emotional core of anything that you're going to watch is going to be the, quote, real people, right? And for me, the real people here kind of fall through your fingers. Like, it starts out interesting of, like, what is up with Marissa? Like, who is she? You know, this relationship that, you know, she's developed with John and then the the love triangle with her and Carl. But then by the third thing, she she and John are effectively, like, inhuman. They're, like, almost comatose which 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 will factor into the thing that we're gonna get to but you're right you're trying to attach to these characters and if the point of it by the third movie is be like oh those characters basically were nothing uh it does and there's no story and then they cut the legs out from yeah and then it ends with her she just well i mean that's this is when credits roll we we see marissa her being dead yeah, and and Amy, I think is the yeah Amy. That's Amy her. is is yep. the other character. Her pouring gasoline on her and burning the corpse. Yeah, um, and so so if we take that as like a story, right? Like just that as a story makes no sense, right? Um, it, it just doesn't hold together, and it's like pretty- it doesn't explain why they haven't aged in thirty years. It doesn't explain like why she's randomly bleeding from the head. People yeah, don't well, do that. And even that, I don't even care about all that. I don't even care about the mysteries. Like okay. let's strip out the mysteries. Just like the story of a person who is who is going through who is going through an experience. This is a woman yeah. who wanted to become an actress and then sure. she was exploited and then she became this like she became kind of a character from her own movies. So you think it's a story until the end of the second movie where she yes. accidentally, quote, shoots the guy. And then we don't get a third act. And then you don't really get... I agree with that. Yes. And I find that really frustrating, which is probably a setup for now we should talk about, like, the the third layer. Yeah. I which I find to... the, unquestionably the most unsatisfying. I th- Well, it's weird. The performances in the third layer are killer. Definitely the, the best performances in the entire game, yes. I thought. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it, it all looks great, but I th- I think it undermines, for me, it undermines the whole game. I think, well, it definitely recolors the whole game. In a, yeah, in a way that I don't find appetizing, personally. So on this third layer, there are, are two characters, basically. I guess, yeah, not basically, there just are. And Well, you technically them? there are more than that, but... Well, okay, actually, <laughs> yes. I, I know what you mean. Okay, but describe describe the two that matter. Okay, the two that matter. Uh, we have... The the one and the other one. That's how they're referred to in the credits. And uh, they are, kind of look androgynous. They have very short hair, very like blonde, like platinum blonde hair. And these characters will show up if you're watching a normal scene and then you uh, rewind that scene at a certain time when like the controller vibrates. Suddenly, the normal actors that you're used to will be replaced by these other actors. And they'll be saying different things and doing different things. But they'll sometimes be commenting on what's happening in that scene. Other times when you do that, it'll just jump to like a soliloquy from one of those characters talking in like a blank room about like where they came from or where their priorities are or what's important to them or whatever. But you don't get a lot of context in terms of who they are. Things that I was able to grasp just by like watching some of those scenes, they are like some sort of fantastical race i guess of people that have the ability to absorb 
other people and kind of take on their skin, if you will, or live inside of people. Um, yeah. Whether so, that's literal or whether they're just like creativity as a concept, I think it's actually literal based on just there's too much re- references to actual things going on in the in the game. Um, but regardless, it's all very important because these characters are in a lot of ways defining what is happening in the rest of the game in the movies. So for example, the scene where uh, Marissa accidentally shoots her co-star, which causes the second film to be canceled. There is a alternate scene where it's clear that the one who was one of the two people intentionally shot the other one who was inhabiting the other co-star And it was all like part of that plan. So that is why that happened was because these two characters made this decision or this character made this decision to do this thing. Yeah. And that's that's why I struggle with this. And I I also I want to credit Sam Gowing. I think that's how it's pronounced or going on YouTube. We'll we'll share the link. But he did a, a really great kind of summary of the story that was really helpful, especially after playing it. And I mean, honestly, the immortality Wikipedia page has been really helpful. There yeah, have been a few I know. Other... Dual Shockers also wrote an explainer that yeah, was quite good. There have been some good ones, and I, I think that people seem to be kind of torn between two readings for the one and the other one. One is that one is that they're effectively like the muse and self doubt. The one is like the very idea of a muse, and that Marissa is inhabited by, or has been impacted by the idea of a muse and that the other one is the self-doubt that is always, you know, trying to prohibit the muse from creating art. Um, The other reading is more supernatural, which is like they're an ancient alien race that likes to experience human life by inhabiting humans. I think it can be both kind of like, I I think you're right that I don't I don't like this as just a metaphor. I don't think there's a version of this story where we ever really meet Marissa. I think Marissa, Marissa, as we see her in this thing, is effectively inhabited by the one. Yeah, she they actually there's a scene where they make it clear that she was inhabited by the one when she was a little girl, even yes. before she went on the first acting audition she ever went on. Yes. And so whether that's, you know, um, the muse as a, you know, Greek mythology idea. Like or the acting a, bug bit yeah, her. Yeah, the acting bug. Whatever it is, it is quite literal that, like, she is no longer herself. Yeah. And that, I just I just don't like that as a choice, as, 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 a, as a form of story. Yeah, but couldn't you argue that, like, who was herself before this hat? Like, the idea that inspiration touched you and then you're a different person obviously is bullshit. But like, you know, it's like a poetic portrayal of inspiration. What what I don't like about it is we spend the vast majority, by far the vast majority of our time playing this game with a character who we find out is effectively a husk. Sure. And the person that she is is not behaving naturally, we find out in any way. And that what that what the real character inside of her, the one, is thinking, we only find out much later, and we only find out in extremely like vague and opaque ways. Like yeah. she you knows she speaks in puzzles and riddles. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, I mean there, there's some vagueness here because I do think there are moments, especially early on in the first two movies, where it is Marissa. It's not like purely the one. 
but it feels like there are times where she like exerts the one, I guess, exerts more control, more control over the situation. And like, so that, and that balance is not clear. So you don't know exactly who is controlling. And I don't think that's serving the story necessarily. No. And well, and, and again, we as people are attracted to the stories of other people. And like, yeah. when, even if we watch something about gods, we, the, the stories are written in a way where those gods behave like humans, right? Right. Where they have like vulnerabilities. Or, and, you, or you have a character that is interacting with those gods as the audience surrogate. Right. So you can like understand this in that context of, wow, this is really weird compared to me who's normal. And what, yeah, what I, what I struggled with with this game is it felt like it was doing the opposite. That it was like, these are not people. <laughs> like, yeah. these, are, these are just gods doing weird things that are like metaphors about art. And then I think that's the other bummer just for me. And this is very much personal taste. I want to be clear. I think this game is like incredibly impressive. I, I love that this game exists. It might even be in my, like, my top 10 games of the year. At the same time, I, I think it's like extremely worth picking at. Yeah. I I personally just don't care about stories about art. I just find like I, I about like the creative process and how hard it is for artists and how we're controlled by our need to create, but repelled by, you know, put, you know, relentless self-doubt. Like I just life is so hard. It's yeah. so real life is so hard that the idea that that is the biggest problem in someone's life, I just, I haven't been able to think that way since I was like 13. And I, I, I'm sure that there are plenty of artists there who are still artists, who are adults, who are still able and free to like have these feelings. And I'm happy for them, but I do not find it that universal. And I, I don't know it, that, that is like when people talk about pretension, I think that's often what they mean. It's like, this is just, too much about itself which is weird because i like near automata which is a work of <laughs> criticism about games but near automata isn't just about art it's about people who make the art it's like why are we creating this what does it mean to be gods what does it mean to be the, you know uh in control of the virtual worlds what is it like how how is it impacting us it, it's asking so many questions that i think are more interesting than just like you know, well, we're, we're born to create and sometimes or, or the self aggrandizement of like, I'm going to make this sacrifice for the art. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't, kill which isn't necessarily applauded in this game, but it is presented as like an idea, an idea. And also like a, like a greater than humanity, like creature that could possibly like make that choice. Whereas humanity is, you know, so stifled by, other issues in their life yes and like if i had to say what this game was about like let's say you know it's about a muse or whatever in, inhabiting marissa it is that art feeds on us quite literally it quite literally bleeds us dry and ultimately it destroys us yes and what i don't what i really struggle with here is like it's supposed to be about the the sumptuousness of art of the process of creating it right and about like what we actually depict that these people are getting to experience the highs uh, or the extremes of life, you know, violence and sex. And uh, I mean, this like, it's exploration of faith, right? But none of that is enjoyable. So it, what's weird to me is like, that's not how, 
that's not why like actual people create art. People create art because they enjoy most of them shoot because they enjoy it. It's pleasurable, right? So it's weird for me to be like, okay, this is everything that's awful about art, <laughs> and I'm not getting a sense of any of the good. Right. I and and I think a lot of that is probably just Hollywood being like probably the most intensely potentially negative form of art creation but what's it is weird so is this is hollywood with... these are independent creators i mean these are like really small sets that these people are working on so like yeah. this should be passion projects like i'm, I again, I'm not so. saying it needs to be fun i'm just saying I, like <laughs> it's just weird to make them with the if the message of the thing is like art destroys us yeah it's just weird to me that it's like and well i guess then we just if, like if i was going off this game my takeaway would be we shouldn't make art <laughs> like well like, what's films the, what's it's the... funny it reminds me when i was uh, in high school it reminds me my brother uh went to film school filmmaker uh and he would make student films in high school and he'd you know bring a bunch of his friends over and for a while he kept asking me for help and i helped out on a couple shoots and everyone was always stressed out and always miserable and like running around with their heads cut off, trying to like get everything done and oh, the, mm. we're losing the light and whatever it was. And I'm not saying that's every, I'm sure there are amazing quality filmmaking experience. But for me as a person watching from the outside, it didn't seem appealing at all, that creation process, because it was so tied to so many outside forces that can make it for and make it a negative experience. Yes. And yeah. Maybe it's just that it's like this critique of filmmaking in general. Well, in addition to, you know, Hollywood being very gross, uh, filmmaking is like constantly. And, and game making. I mean, and game making, sure. Long Getting in the way yeah. of the actual enjoyment of art. Um, I don't know. It, I, uh, you're right. It, it is uniformly a negative portrayal of this thing. And that is a rough way to spend 10 or so hours sifting through footage. Well, yeah, and I, it's again, not that I even mind it being a rough way. It's just by deciding not to have any positives, that that is that makes that informs the takeaway, right? Yeah. So, like, it, it's you will have a cynical takeaway if, if you know, what you choose to say and what you choose not to say will, will inform the message. Yeah, there's and nothing not cynical in this. Yeah. It is a very cynical portrayal. What, before we wrap up on it, yeah. The, the title of the game, Immortality. Sure. <laughs> What's your take on it? I, I think it's pretty clear. I think the title refers to the idea of people and and the, 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 the one and the other one allude to this. The idea that they can live forever within the bodies of people that are acting and within the memories of people that are, you know, watching these movies. And the mm -hmm. game actually ends with a one shot of the one looking directly into the camera, effectively at the player and being and saying, I believe I'm a part of you. The idea being that like, because you were watching this, now they continue to live on through your memory of watching this experience. So that is my read. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, not that I like it, but I, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, uh, I, I think that's true. I also think it, I mean, this is the same thing. That it's playing with the idea that I think like <laughs> this engine for artists that, well, I will, you know, become dust eventually, but my art will live past me, you know, and that like yeah. you're immortal through your art if you're a great artist. Yeah. But I also think that's 
funny, and I wish the game had picked it this more because it's just not true. Like the 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 brutal truth of art is that you could make the biggest show in the world, and in less than a hundred years, nobody will remember it. Yep, literally nobody. I mean, there are entire movies from the seventies right now. There's a uh, heist movie that I love called The Hot Rock. You basically can't find it anywhere. True yeah. Lies. True Lies was made by James Cameron, and it's very difficult <laughs> to watch <laughs> it, right? Like, outside of Shakespeare, there's not much. And, I mean, a thing that, like, one of my more brutal professors at, uh, at NYU would point out was, like, name something that you care about from 100 years ago, and then, like, forget that. Name something that you love from even 20 years ago. Yeah. Of any medium. And, like, for a lot of people, for the average person, it's surprisingly hard. I'm sure there's And the thing that you love, the, can, yeah. the next generation has never heard of before. Exactly. So there is, there is no immortality, which is what's kind of, like, funny because this game contradicts that. Right. The game works better in the idea that it, the footage was lost forever. Like, that actually yeah. is better. If, if it's like, oh, no, this footage was lost forever. They did all of this and nobody ever saw it. <laughs> like that i find that much more interesting versus like oh well they actually kind of got their wish i don't know that doesn't that doesn't yeah doesn't work no i agree i i i think there are definitely core problems with it but yeah i love so, i love the creativity oh i i like the swing but yeah, well, i'm yeah. not sure it's there for me I, I, well and again I, I i know that i have been like very critical but i i want to i want to be clear that i think there's a difference between being critical and being like negative because the the fact here is very few games are doing anything close to this not just on like a technical level but just getting you to think about things yep and like that is why i mean that's why i love movies i i went and saw assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford the other night and i was thinking about this a lot because that movie is good it's three hours long almost three hours long and it does this really annoying thing where it is kind of an art movie, but every time there could be a moment of like peace where we can actually think about all of the stuff that we're seeing, they cut to VO and the VO just kind of explains everything for you of like what it wants you to feel. Sure. And it sucks. It like really sucks Yeah. because it doesn't give you time to actually think about yourself. And that's what I want when I go to a movie is art, really, really good art gets you to think about something beyond the art mm -hmm. like it, you're not just thinking about the plot you're not just thinking of like you know why is marissa old versus young and i think there's a habit sometimes where post lost especially where we think the biggest questions we have are about like the work itself and like does this make sense how does this fit into the canon when like throughout history the cool thing about art is we see it and it affects us and it makes us start thinking about us or our loved ones or the world we're in or like what just what we're feeling right and i i don't often get that from games and i'm not sure. saying that as a bad thing for games games do a different thing in, entirely they, they help me feel a different thing but it was really cool to play this game and get that from a video game where it was making me ask a lot of questions it just didn't it ultimately didn't do it in the way that i found compelling or rewarding. Yeah. 
And I, um, and I do think games do that, but it, it's extremely rare. Uh, you know, we were just talking about the, the ending of The Last of Us Part 1 recently. I actually think that ending is a really good example of something that, like, yes. pulls you out and makes you think of something beyond just the, here are the events of the game, of what happened. Like, oh, what would I do in this circumstance? What You know, if it's my family member on the line. Yeah. One so, of, Neil Druckmann spoke about the ending of that game, and I, like, will never forgive him for it. Because I think that end- ending is so interesting. It makes me so angry, that ending. Um, and him talking about what it actually means and, like, whether or not Joel is in the wrong or right just breaks it for me. Yeah, I, I I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I firmly believe in death of the author, death of the artist, uh, and <laughs> I'm not interested in what he uh, thinks that, that ending is. And yeah. I don't like if it's me, I wouldn't even comment on it because I think it's more interesting. You've you've put the pieces there and you've selected what to show and what not to show, and that is the canon. That is what people walk away with. That the best art makes you feel something and makes you think about something. You shouldn't have the artist on your shoulder. I never read those placards next to the painting. I just want to look at the painting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. And like, it's, I, I, I also like I needed to say that because I am almost certain this will end up in my top ten. Okay. Um, just because it challenged me, and and I do. There's a lot I admire about it on a technical level. We didn't talk a lot about a lot of that because y'all did a really good job talking about it on the the main besties episode which if somehow people did not listen to you should go back and listen to that because i think it gets at a lot of what's really exciting about Mm -hmm. like just the act of playing this game is really really interesting and fun yeah um and and rewarding on its own um which again a game can just be that that's that's also totally chill um anyway that that is that's all the stuff that i had on my brain okay we've gone long so we should wrap it up Oh boy, what else are you playing? Uh, nothing really. Dark Souls and stuff like that. Have you, you watched know. anything? Uh, I watched. Uh, I referenced it on Besties, but I watched um, Delicatessen, which oh, was yeah. quite good. Nineteen ninety one film, French film, uh, set in a post post apocalypse where people eat each other, and it's a comedy. And it's made by the director of Amelie. It was and the director movie that of Amelie. He made, I think, right before it, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what what have I been enjoying? Um, I mean, we'll talk about it more soon, but just to whet everyone's appetite. Disney Dreamlight Valley. Oh, boy. What a joy. Um, it is dangerous. Dangerous. Oh, it's, you should it, just leave it there. It yeah, is dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. I mean, Animal Crossing plus the addictive talents of a mobile game developer like Gameloft that is, that's a and 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 all of my Disney adult urges. It's oh it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination. That's a good, I think, a good tease for th- besties next week. I think so. So that's it. We did it. It was a long one. We appreciate you sticking with us. Um, we spoke about Tinykin at the top. That's available on pretty much everything: Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch. We spoke about immortality in the second half. That is available on PC. It's eventually going to be available on mobile, on Android and iOS via Netflix, mm-hmm. but I don't think so yet. It's on Xbox. I, it's on. Oh, yeah. I think it's Xbox Game Pass, too. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you sp- talked about Delicatessen, and I spoke about Disney Dreamlight Valley very briefly. And that's a wrap. We did it. It's another episode of The Resties. I am Christopher Thomas Plant. 
You are Russ Frushtick. And we're the Rusties. I am Russ Frushtick? <laughs> sure. We're the Resties. Where the rest are the best, discuss the best of the rest. Resties!